There are many farmers also suffering at this point, and I'm not even sure whether the suffering is complete now because now you may be coping with it emotionally, or but then next year the pain will be felt because that will be the point where no money comes in. The numbers are already red. That would be the point you cannot feed your animals anymore. So the real pain still will come. Welcome to This New Climate, an acclimatized podcast about the innovations that could transform our world as we enter a new era of climate instability. There are few industries on Earth that are as exposed to the impacts of climate change as agriculture. Farmers count every drought, flood or hurricane in lost crops, livestock and income. This episode explores the scale of the challenge that farmers face and new innovations that are being developed to help them build their resilience. Hello, my name's Will Bugler and you are listening to This New Climate, the podcast that investigates emerging innovations that deal with some of the most intractable climate challenges. In this first series, we bring you five projects supported by the European Institute of Innovation and Technology's Climate Kick Initiative. This is episode five of six, and in it we focus on an industry that is essential for sustaining human life on Earth and millions of Instagram feeds. Farming. Here we look at how innovations being tested in the wine industry could help all kinds of farmers understand and respond to climate change and its impacts and explore a new tool that allows governments to understand how adaptation measures in the farming industry will affect the wider economy. But first, we speak to a farmer who has first-hand experience of the impact of climate change on a modern farm. My grandparents started the farm in 1961, uh, they started off with a mixed farm as well, some cattle, a few pigs, seven hectares, I believe. At this point, we just have fattening pigs and an arable land, but we grew a lot, basically in scale. So at this point, we have 1,250 fattening pigs and we farm on around 120 hectares of land. That's Iris Bowers. She's not everyone's stereotypical idea of a farmer. Myself, I'm 25 years old, and two years ago I joined in the family farm after studying agribusiness. Actually, I, I never thought of being a farmer myself. I always believed I wanted to work in business, probably in the city, but a few years ago it just got to me. Studying in the agricultural sector, becoming more and more involved in what farmers are doing, but also what farmers are coping with nowadays, it really motivated me, and at some point the passion just came and I realized this is what I'm made to do. This is my purpose. As well as running the family farm with her parents in the Netherlands, Iris is also the vice president of the European Council of Young Farmers and the vice president of the Association for Young Farmers. In this capacity, she speaks to hundreds of farmers from across Europe and is keenly aware of the challenges that they face in running their businesses profitably. Last year was exceptionally difficult for her as Europe experienced a prolonged drought that devastated many crops and threatened livestock. Many, many young farmers and many, many older farmers have been suffering from this drought and especially from Denmark, Sweden, Belgium, Germany as well. I've heard devastating stories which concern a great loss in yield in arable farming but also a great loss 
in producing feed silage for the animals. And what I've heard from some Swedish young farmers is that the situation there is this bad that you can decide to shoot your calves because you know you won't have the feed for them in future. For me, it's painful and probably a big financial burden to cope with the problem in the arable farming. But if you cannot provide the feed for your animals, then it's even worse. That must be a true tragedy. I feel very sorry for those farmers not being able to cope with those problems. On the other hand, there are many farmers also suffering at this point. And I'm not even sure whether the suffering is complete now because now you may be coping with it emotionally or it must be hard for many farmers to see their crops aren't doing well. They will have a shortage of silage. But then next year, the pain will be felt because that will be the point where no money comes in. The numbers are already read. That would be the point you cannot feed your animals anymore. So the real pain still will come. The drought proved to be a tough experience for Iris on her own farm. At the peak of the summer last year, the Netherlands experienced over 13 days that were classified as heatwave conditions, with temperatures reaching 38.2 degrees centigrade, that's over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in some parts of the country. But as Iris explains, the problems that farmers face with such extreme conditions are often stored up for decisions made in previous years. Well, actually this year of disasters started in the beginning of the year for us already uh, because just this year this season 2017-2018 we decided to work on our pig stable we wanted to improve it we wanted to work on, on animal welfare so we invested quite some money in improving the stable itself for a few years already in an effort to modernize the pig stables to provide higher animal welfare and improve efficiency of production Iris has taken the decision to invest in new stables. This meant that their capital reserves were already partly committed, so they were hoping for a good harvest. However, the signs were not looking good, as the first potato crop suffered disease and was mostly lost. They were then forced to replant in May 2018. In May, when we were planting most of the potatoes, we already found that it was quite dry. Obviously, that can be hard circumstances for planting, but also you're expecting the rain to come soon. But the time went and the rain didn't come. And it didn't come in June and it didn't come in July. And that was when we realized for certain areas where we replanted some of the potatoes, they didn't see any water until the end of August. And you can definitely see that in the yield. If we take uh, uh, the helicopter view on our total area of arable crops, we can see uh, 120 hectares, which of 70 hectares probably is starch potatoes. In total, from the 120 hectares, we could irrigate, I think, 60 hectares. Uh, That would be mostly starch potatoes, also the valerian, the onions. So half of our area has seen some water during the season and nevertheless half of it didn't and we can for sure see that in yield now and that hurts obviously we expect yield to drop it depends on on where the field is located but losses are up to 75 percent but also in the area where we have been able to irrigate losses are 
25%. Such losses take a heavy toll on farmers like Eris. The physical nature of their work, directly connected to the crops that they plant and the animals they tend, makes losses like this especially hard to cope with. Financially, farmers, like other business owners, need to make investments well ahead of time, deciding what crop types and ratios they will plant months ahead of harvest. As climate change makes weather conditions more unpredictable, it's becoming increasingly hard to get these decisions right. I don't have that many years to compare it with. And that, for me personally, that made this year extra heavy because it's one of the first years I got so involved in the farm. I put so much effort and energy uh, and passion in, in farming. And to realize at that point, you cannot do anything for all the plants. It's devastating, really. You're kind of desperate because you cannot help the plants grow. You cannot change the situation for all of your products. And it has been hard and it's still hard, obviously. Both my my grandfather and my dad said, you can never be ready for such a year. And we don't know whether it will happen again. It might be next year. It might be in five years or in 10, but it will happen again. And it might be a similar strategy when Uh, We have way too much rain or a way too cold season. I think this year proves as farmers, we cannot be flexible enough to just cope with these risks. One problem is that the responsibility to adapt to climate risks falls almost entirely on the shoulders of the farmer, who are expected to make sometimes costly investments in adaptation measures. However, Iris explains that because the effects of climate change are already being felt, many farmers are unable to build up sufficient financial reserves to do just that. We know we are coping with the degree in temperature that is rising, uh, but also more extreme weather conditions. And what I see now is especially young farmers not being able to build a buffer yet, not having the experience of coping with such years and risks yet. Something needs to change on that side. As long as we are farming in this system where we don't really have the opportunity to build this buffer, for example, through years like these, it might be really hard to cope with risks like that in future as well. Farmers like Iris are already taking steps to make their businesses more resilient to the uncertainties of both markets and climate. For instance, by diversifying their cropping. Most farms just had three crops, which would be starch potatoes, sugar beets, and and one grain like barley or, uh, yeah, basically barley. And actually, a few years ago, we decided we wanted to spread our risks more. We wanted to be more sure about um, a stable income. So we decided also to invest in other crops. So at this point, next to starch potatoes, sugar beets, and malting barley, we also grow gluten-free oats, onions, and valerian herb. So these six crops and the fattening pigs are a quite stable idea of farming in the Netherlands since in this system we do have the chance to spread our risks. Despite the pressing need, there is a fundamental lack of tools at farmers' disposal to help them monitor, understand and respond to climate shifts. The importance of helping farmers to better manage their land in order to build resilience and deliver environmental benefits cannot be understated as Daniel Zimmer, 
head of Climate Kick's land use theme, explains. Yes, land is, if I may say, the first recipient of all climate disorders. So um, uh, as soon as, as you have uh, increased droughts or uh, uh, more inundations, uh, the land is, of course, obviously uh, uh, affected. And moreover, if I may say, the way we use the land has a tendency to uh, increase the risks. If you think of drought, the way, again, you, you manage the organic matter and so the carbon content in soils has an impact on, on their water storage capacity and hence on the resistance uh, of, the, of crops to drought. The actions of farmers have a very considerable impact on other sectors and the wider environment. According to figures from the OECD, agriculture accounts for 70% of water use, a figure that is likely to rise as growing populations demand more food. An increase in water demand for agriculture affects other industries, notably energy, heavy industry and textiles. Climate Kick has therefore supported a range of projects that promote farming approaches that reduce carbon emissions and build resilience to climate impacts through its Climate Smart Agriculture Booster programme. The CSA Booster is essentially seeking out promising interventions in agriculture that Climate Kick think have the capacity to scale up and make transformative change to the way farming works today. One area that has benefited from their support is the European wine industry. A strange sector to choose, you might ask. Surely only the most strident wine enthusiast would argue that safeguarding the flavour profile of their Pinot Noir is of greater importance than protecting vital food crops, right? Not so, says Jean-Marc Tuzard. In my work, I focused mainly on the wine industry because the wine industry, you know, is an important sector in France. But uh, more than that, we think that the wine industry can be an example for more general or generic questions. Uh, for instance, for climate change, the wine industry is very sensitive to climate change. So it's a very good example for analyzing uh, impacts on, of climate change of one industry. Jean-Marc is an agronomist working on innovations in food and agriculture systems for the French National Institute for Agricultural Research, or INRA. His research has focused on various issues related to food security and climate change, but his passion has been exploring the wine industry. The industry is extremely important economically. The European Union is the world's leading producer of wine, accounting for 56% of global production and almost three quarters of exports. In 2017, wine exports from the EU27 countries were worth over 11 billion euros. But what makes the wine industry particularly interesting for climate research is its sensitivity to climate change. Unlike other sectors, even relatively small changes in climate and weather patterns can have a material difference on the quality of wine production. And wine producers have a lot riding on maintaining consistency across their vintages. This has meant that they are more open to try and invest in new innovations that can give them a competitive advantage in the face of climate change. 
Jean-Marc also explains that now is an important window of opportunity for engaging with wine growers, as the vines that they plant now will be maturing in 2050, meaning that they are already thinking ahead. In 2050, we know that climate will change dramatically. So you have to take into account what could be happened uh, in uh, 2050, uh, what are the main changes, what are the impacts of climate change. So in order to plant a new variety, for instance, that will be perhaps not adapted to the current climate, but that will be adapted to the future climate. But the major challenge for wine producers, and for the agricultural sector more broadly, is that there remains considerable uncertainty about the exact kinds of climate risks that farmers will need to contend with. And there are many kinds of risks, combination of different kinds of risks, high temperature, floods, storms. It's very difficult to anticipate these risks. This uncertainty means that the agricultural sector has to employ a wide range of innovations and strategies that make it more resilient to a broad range of potential climate risks. At the same time, Jean-Marc noticed that while there were many innovations for adaptation in agriculture being proposed by research institutes, it was less clear how they should be combined into an effective strategy for farmers. There was a gap between outputs or results and the solution put in practices, how people really can change their, their way of production to adapt. So there was a gap in terms of uh, how to, to mobilize, to valorize or results for solutions, for innovations. So realizing that there was this gap between theory and practice, Jean-Marc sought funding from Climate Kick's CSA booster program to establish a regional wine hub with the purpose of engaging directly with wine producers to make them aware of the latest innovations and to learn from their experience of how they might be implemented. At the beginning, we start working in South of France. We say, okay, in South of France, we can find a lot of impacts. The main impacts of climate change are really observable. And we also can find a lot of solutions in some produce farms, also in research centers or in some firms, companies. So there is an ecosystem which really can provide ideas, solutions, some innovations. Okay. The first thing Jean-Marc and his team did was to produce a study into the impacts of climate change on the region until 2050. This study provided the scientific basis for the discussions with farmers and ensured that their discussions were based on realistic projections for future climate. With the backing of Climate Kick, the hub was able to engage more than 600 stakeholders from six different wine regions in the south of France and brought them together to co-develop solutions to climate challenges. First, we presented the scenarios of what could be the, the wine industry in 2050 and then people reacted during all the day with um, numerical tablets. Uh, they can vote it for, on different scenarios and then they proposed solutions. In many research centers, in many uh, wine farms, they found solutions, but just on one point, one lever for the adaptation. So we know that if you want to adapt to climate change, you can change varieties, you can change your 
practices in the field. You can change your the way of wine processing. You can change how to the site where you will plant the vines. You can change the set of practices. You can change the way the consumer will appreciate your wines. So you have a lot of solutions, but people need the combination. How to combine all these solutions, all these innovations, in the same strategy? And so there is a need to combine this innovation, these solutions, and really the the wine hub provides this vision. The wine hub is now beginning to bear fruit, with major wine producers in Languedoc asking the hub to co-develop their climate adaptation strategy, and the local media sharing the lessons from the meetings, amplifying the impact in the industry. Now the aim is to repeat the wine hub success in other parts of Europe. We are developing a new project, new program. We said Med uh, Wine Hub. We try to, we say scaling up the regional wine hub, the, the Mediterranean scale, and we involve uh, uh, researchers or stakeholders from uh, Italy, Spain, Portugal. Chipra in France, and we try to reproduce this regional hub at a larger scale. As they scale up, these wine hubs become increasingly powerful networks of producers, buyers and landowners, connected and informed about climate risks. These networks are vital for providing the testing ground for new and emerging innovations that can increase agricultural resilience to climate change and extreme weather. One such innovation is the Fenopycam project, which is helping farmers to monitor the environment around their crops in real time, giving them the data they need to understand the impact of different weather conditions on crop performance. Before we hear more about Fenopycam, including the thinking behind that name, it's useful to think about how climate change might affect agricultural production. Where climate impacts are concerned, Europe is broadly split between those areas that are likely to become warmer and wetter, mostly northern and eastern Europe, and those that will become hotter and drier, like southern Europe and the Mediterranean. The main climate-related pressures on agriculture are water availability, overall temperature variations, presence and persistence of pests and diseases, as well as some fire risks. In the EU, climate-related impacts on agriculture have largely been negative, with positive impacts limited to temperature increases in the northern latitudes. Water is a particular problem in the context of agriculture because of its impact on other sectors. Here's Daniel Zimmer. Basically, water-scarce regions are likely to become even drier, while uh, water-abundant uh, regions may have even more rainfall in the future. So it is really uh, important to uh, anticipate the potential changes because uh, if you look at, uh, at the water resources in a catchment, the surface runoff is always a very small fraction of the rainfall. And so if, say, your rainfall decreases by 10, 20%, your runoff 
maybe even uh, were maybe decreasing even more, much more than than this. So uh, this non-linearity of the water resources uh, is is very uh, critical, especially in water scarce countries. So as rainfall drops, the amount of water available for irrigation is likely to decrease by a proportionately larger amount. This is also likely to coincide with increased demand for irrigation as hotter temperatures increase evaporation rates and reduce soil moisture. The impact of extreme events such as droughts that we heard Iris Bowers speak about at the beginning of the episode often grab the headlines. But farmers also have to pay close attention to the less noticeable effects of climate change, such as gradual increases in temperatures, changes to the length of growing seasons, and shifts in rainfall patterns and distribution throughout the year. These impacts are highly location and crop specific, so farmers have to be ever more sophisticated in their understanding of their crop's response to climate change. It is against this context that innovations like Phenopicam have emerged. You know, PICAM is a new uh, device which uh, allows uh, continuous monitoring of the environment, both by time-lapse images and main uh, meteorological uh, parameters. That's Roberto Zora, a plant physiologist, a teacher in precision viticulture at the University of Salzburg in Austria, and a researcher at the Edmund Mack Foundation, a wine academy in Trentino in northeast Italy. He has led a team developing and testing a new innovation in crop monitoring called Phenopicam. That's pheno, as in phenology, or the study of periodic plant life cycle events and how they're influenced by variations in climate. Pi, because it incorporates a low-cost computer module called Raspberry Pi. And Cam, because it has a camera module that captures time-lapse images. With Phenopicam, the clue is very much in the name. And despite this high-tech capabilities, its components were remarkably low cost to assemble, as it's based on open-source computer module. Raspberry Pi is uh, the third most uh, famous computer in the world, after uh, PC and Apple. And it's a a low-cost computer board, so the best uh, Raspberry Pi costs are around uh, 35 euros. This helped developers keep costs of the project down for the initial prototypes. But despite its cheapness, the computer module is able to process data from a host of sensors. The complete system will look like a small weather station because it will consist of the new computer board and data logger and also equipped with meteorological sensors such as thermohygrometer, soil temperature probes, rain gouge, wind speed and direction leaf wetness. So the idea is that this mini weather station is placed directly into vineyards where it begins to precisely monitor the growing conditions. However, what separates this innovation from other crop monitoring technology is its capacity to capture visual imagery. The main uh, enclosure will uh, also have two windows, one for the a visible camera and one for the thermal camera, which will provide the temperature of the canopy. This system will also have a solar panel for the power supply. The combination of crop data with visible images of how grapes are developing is powerful, 
and will feed into a model that can begin to learn the impact of different conditions on crop development. The thermal imaging camera can also help to provide early indications of signs of water stress, as leaf stomata begin to close under such conditions, increasing the temperature of the plants. The data from Phenopicam can inform farmers' strategies around irrigation, planting, crop types, cultivation and fertilisation. And as Roberto explains, the benefits of Phenopicam are applicable well beyond the wine industry. We are uh, going to apply and use the system uh, to monitor also other crops or uh, it can uh, be used uh, to monitor environment in a general uh, meaning. For instance, we are trying to build an industrial-grade uh, system which can uh, also experience very bad uh, meteorological conditions such as low temperature or uh, rain, snow and so on. And in these terms, the system can be also used, uh, for instance, in high mountains to monitor uh, glaciers. And uh, so we know that uh, every year the glaciers are going to reduce uh, their uh, quantity of ice because of uh, climate change. Our setup can uh, also be used to monitor uh, this uh, aspect by visual imaging and uh, also data collection. As Phenopicam expands, it also has the potential to transform the way phenological monitoring is done providing researchers with a huge opportunity to advance the understanding of crop responses to climate change. So my greatest wish would be to see a network of phenopicum uh, spread uh, throughout the territory and used to support uh, growers and uh, agronomists towards uh, environmentally friendly practices. By means of uh, time-lapse images, uh, we could monitor from our office, the situation over the entire area where the stations are installed. Right now, phenological monitoring is very time-consuming and uh, there is uh, almost one visit every week or every second week. But with our system, we will monitor hourly the situation. And so this is a great improvement. The true potential of Phenopicam as a network of crop monitors is just beginning to be explored. But these advances could mean that farmers are able to take decisions that are much more informed and ultimately manage their farms more sustainably. For instance, farmers would be able to understand when their crops are likely to face water stress and apply water in the appropriate times in just the right quantities. This would help to ensure that water resources are not exploited unnecessarily. This matters because when it comes to water use, agriculture and food production impacts a wide range of other sectors. In recognition of this fact, climate change supported researchers to develop AgroAdapt, a tool that is designed to demonstrate the implications of agricultural decisions around water scarcity on other sectors in the economy. Here's the principal investigator of the AgroAdapt project, Dionisio Perez. So, I mean, the, the AgroData tool tries to tackle or to address a challenge which is the greatest global societal threat, according to the World Economic Forum, which is water scarcity. We consider this tool as a, as a means of delivering stakeholders, decision makers, with a series of methodologies and especially results that they could use for the day-to-day decision making regarding water scarcity. 
And to do that, we, we developed a methodology in which we couple models at different scales. So AgroAdapt is aimed at decision makers at the national level who are considering what policies to pursue that might affect water use in agriculture. The researchers developed a complex economic model that can calculate the economic impact of their decisions at the local level, known as the microeconomic models, and link them to economic impacts at the national or regional scale using macroeconomic models. We include economic models and hydrologic models. And within the economic models, we also include microeconomic models and macroeconomic models. The microeconomic models basically are models representing the behavior of individuals, agents in the, in the society. They can be farmers, for example, which is the largest water user worldwide. While in the macroeconomic model, we represent economic sectors. It can be, for example, the food industry sector, tourism sector, etc., etc. What the AgroDAP tool does, and this is the main innovation, is to couple all these models together to come up with an estimation of the costs that different policies to deal with water scarcity problems will have. Crucially, this means that the tool allows decision makers to test various policy proposals to see which can be most effective at reducing water scarcity in the agricultural sector while at the same time not causing adverse economic impacts in other sectors. Dionosio explains that this means that the decision makers themselves are a crucial part of the agroadapt process. We go and talk to the decision maker, the policy maker, and we say, OK, what policy are you, are, are you interested on? And they may say water pricing. Um, then we run our model with different water pricing simulations. We ask our virtual farmers, okay, how much water would you be willing to use with this price? They provide a response. Then we load these results into the macroeconomic model. Uh, we run a series of simulations and we come up also with some results telling us what's the impact of the farmer decisions on the white economy. So tourism sector or uh, food industry or uh, also manufacturing industry, etc., etc. Dionosio and his team have successfully trialled and tested AgroAdapt with policymakers from many different parts of Europe. But the route to market for a tool like AgroAdapt is far from conventional, which is why the support from Climate Kick was so vital. We were not developing something and then selling it to a potential customer. We were co-generating it. So we were engaging policymakers in order to develop this tool. And obviously, in order to do that, you need a, a demonstrator as well. So you cannot produce something and then together with someone and then expect this someone to buy the product that he has co-generated. Obviously, that's not going to happen. That's when where Climate Kick became really instrumental because they provided us the framework and the tools and the funding to engage all these institutions uh, into this sort of demonstrator to get feedback uh, and through cogeneration create this tool. And now this tool is available for anyone who wants to use it. But it was only possible to develop this tool with the collaboration from all these stakeholders. Innovations like AgroAdapt are helping to connect decisions in farming to the wider economy to ensure that farmers can be supported to make the best decisions on climate adaptation whilst avoiding unintended consequences elsewhere. This will become ever more important as water supplies in many regions become increasingly scarce and competition between sectors increases. Now, food production will doubtlessly be prioritised, but farmers will also be expected to be proactive in managing their demand for water and build resilience of their crops to cope with greater climate vulnerability. 
Innovations like Fenopicam that give farmers the power to understand and monitor climate impacts on their crops are vital. And initiatives like the Wine Hub clearly show the power and innovation that can be generated through collaboration. But there will also need to be support from governments and from other parts of the food supply chain, including retailers and consumers, to share the financial burden of adaptation with farmers who, after all, are not solely responsible for the impacts that they face. Uh, Nevertheless, many farmers who recently started didn't realise yet you also, well, say, I will farm in extreme weather conditions or I will farm in, in a world where the climate is changing very fast. And, and if you take a look at, for example, uh, at CO2 emission, I think in the EU, 10.1% is being caused by the agriculture, which means that basically 90% is being caused by all of the other sectors, while farmers feel it the most that the climate is changing. So we're partially part of the problem, and we, I think we also should take a responsibility in that. But it's not only up to us, it's a lot broader, and it's not only the agri-food chain that should be held responsible for this problem. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, then please remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch with us, you can connect to us on Twitter at This New Climate and head over to www.acclimatize.uk.com forward slash This New Climate to learn more about this and other episodes in the series. Many thanks to our guests, Iris Bowers from the European Council of Young Farmers and the Association of Young Farmers, Jean-Marc Tuzar from INRA, Roberto Zora from the Edmund Mach Foundation, Dionisio Perez from the University of Salamanca, and Daniel Zimmer from Climate Kick. Also, a big shout-out to our Climate Kick coordinators for this episode, Pan Pan and Ellie Tonks. Content for this episode was derived in part from a series of innovation insight notes coordinated by Ellie Tonks and Gina Lovett for Climate Kick. This episode was produced by Acclimatize and Climate Kick, hosted by me, Will Bugler. Background research and narrative development was by Georgina Wade, Elisa Jimenez Alonso and Will Bugler. And editing and production support was from Lower Street. Thanks again and see you next time.